turn and thank our choir this morning. Thank you, choir. (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful music we make to the Lord. And for that we should be very grateful. Let's pray together. Father, I don't know where we've all been this past week since we worshipped last together. Some folks have been quietly living life and others have been very challenged. And Lord, as we walk through our life, which is not a perfect experience, sometimes the challenges grow and grow. And if we're not very careful, Lord, we take our focus off of you. We stop thinking about you and realizing that you have all the answers to life. And when our focus is broken, Lord, and we start looking at the people and the things and the situations, very often they will frighten us. And very often, dear God, we'll make the wrong decisions. You have promised us, Lord, that you're going to be with us in every season of our life. You have promised us that you're a sovereign God and you're working your will out day by day. And that when we encounter difficulty, you knew that difficulty was coming and you stood ready to help us. And ultimately, Lord, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to your purpose and those who love you. And with that kind of assurance, dear God, we can look at you and follow you and trust you and know that things are going to work out. Unfortunately, Lord, the sin that is so prevalent in us and around us causes us sometimes not to do that. It causes us to try to make up our own mind and try to be in charge of our own destiny. And more often than not, Lord, you let us suffer the consequences of that kind of thought process. Not because you're angry with us, but because you want to draw us back to yourself. Father, for the things that we've done this past week since we worshiped last that have been displeasing to you, I ask you to forgive us. And for the things that we've not done that you wanted us to do, I ask you to forgive us again. And yet, Lord, we come to you knowing that your forgiveness has already been earned by your son Jesus, not by us. That as he died on a cross and as he gave his life for us. It was for the sins that we have committed. And that he has fully and completely atoned for those sins, having taken our place and being our substitute. So, Father, we together come together today to worship you and give thanks to you with the absolute and perfect assurance that we are a forgiven people still destined to struggle with sin throughout the rest of this life. But knowing that you're with us and that you're going to help us do that, and knowing that 
you have already secured permanently and forever our salvation. Something beautiful to look forward to. Something to live for and to say thank you, Father, by the way we live. Father, there are those among us, some who are absent today, who are struggling with all sorts of things. A number of our folks, Lord, are suffering with physical ailments, and you already know that. And you're already at work in their lives through doctors and nurses and others who are in the helping professions. Some, dear God, are struggling with financial issues or decisions, with employment and a whole variety of other things. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a peace, even at this very moment, that we might know that you're in control of all of that also. Father, there are a lot of Americans who have loved ones overseas, some of them in the armed forces who are in harm's way, others who are in this country, firemen and policemen, a whole variety of other people who put their own lives at risk to help us to live our life freely. Father, hear our prayers. We lift them up to you this morning and ask for your guidance and your presence. And ask, Lord, that you would call some of them who don't know you to be in your family as a consequence of the hard times and the challenges that they're facing. I pray for our church, Lord. I pray that each day and each week we would take a step forward in being more like the church you want us to be. And I pray that that might be a compelling thing for myself and my family and for everyone here. That we might come to the point where we enjoy you more and more as the days go by. That we trust you more and more. And that we praise you more and more. You truly are a God of love and a God of mercy. You're a God who's always working on our behalf. And Father, from all of us to you, I say thank you. Thank you for the love that we know through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to Joshua, the third chapter, and we're going to look together at the first 17 verses. Joshua, the third chapter, and we're going to start with the first verse. Please, once you get your Bibles open, keep them open so we can go through the passage together. You know, I pray each Sunday before... I read God's Word publicly, and I try to do that every time I open my Bible. The reason I do that is that I would like to get as much out of the passage this morning as I can get. 
and I've had the honor of studying the passage in detail. But I'd like you to have that same experience for the Holy Spirit to take these written words that come right from the lips of God and apply them to your heart so that you and I might walk out of this time of worship wealthier people spiritually. Pray with me. Father, we come to you with a special prayer. And that is that you would open up our minds and help us to hear anew. That you'd take a passage that many of us know and that you'd apply it to us individually. That instead of thinking about the person in front of us or beside us who needs to hear this, that we'd think about ourselves and know that you're speaking to us individually. And it's your desire to enrich our lives. So, Father, I ask your blessing on the reading and the preaching of your holy word. And I pray, dear God, that as we hear it, it would be so deeply embedded, like a two-edged sword making its way into our very being, that we might be able to take it home with us and use it. So bless us, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. A week ago, this past Friday, a group of people, the little 4,000 people, boarded a ship in Galveston, Texas. One of those luxury vacation weekends. Four days out into the Gulf of Mexico, down to the tip of Mexico, and then back to Galveston. Or at least that was the plan. Don't you imagine they were dreaming about all kinds of things they were going to experience? They had a great sail on Friday night. Saturday was fine. They were on a luxury liner with all of the amenities that a human being could ask for. Went to bed Saturday night, just like you and I did last Saturday night. We got up and came to worship. They woke up and realized there'd been a fire aboard in the engine room and that all the electricity was knocked out. That's a little disconcerting if you're on the ship. Then they heard that the elevators, which they need in a ship of that size, all of them were non-functional except one. Then they realized, I'm sure, at the first mealtime, they couldn't cook any food. Then they realized their sanitation system was no longer working. Gets worse and worse, doesn't it? And then they realized, and this hasn't been publicized a whole lot, that the ship was listing to one side. Now, you know, when the sun's out and it's the first day of an experience like that, I think most folks could probably cope with it. There are a few who probably went absolutely nuts, but most could cope. But when that sun started going down and they were adrift in the Gulf of Mexico and they couldn't turn into the prevailing winds with a ship of that size, if it had gotten rough out there, which it does, there was a good likelihood that ship would roll over. For the only way they can cope with a storm or bad weather is to turn the bow using the motors that didn't work turn the bow into the wind. Went to their staterooms. No lights. 
can you imagine laying in your stateroom that first night, thinking of all the things that might happen while you're asleep? I probably wouldn't have gone to sleep, would you? I'd want to stay awake and make sure I was doing my part to worry us through that. Four-day trip ended on Thursday night after being towed ever so slowly, likened unto walking back through the Gulf of Mexico and back to a port. I was uh, very interested to watch the people getting off and to hear the interviews with them. Some of them got off and they used some rather descriptive language about a place we think of as below and saying they just had a trip there. And I'm sure that's how they felt. Others got off and had just kind of taken in stride. Said, well, that happened and now that's over and let's get on with the rest of life. People have such different attitudes when they face challenges. Have you noticed that? Well, I'm naive enough to think that we who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior ought to be able to keep our ship level in the water. And emotionally, we shouldn't get that diswrought over those kinds of things. We can be concerned. But we can do something that a lot of other people in our country cannot do. We can say, Father, you were in control before and you're still in control. Amen? It's so important to think that way because that's what our Bible tells us. I'm going to show you an experience, and it's not the one that Metro-Golden-Mayor made a movie out of many years ago called The Ten Commandments. It has nothing to do with the separating of the Red Sea. Instead, it has to do with the drying up of another sea which was just as dramatic. And what I want to do is walk you through the passage together and show you what God has for us to help us to get through those kinds of challenges. Because some of the challenges are awesome challenges, aren't they? I want you to look with me at Joshua, the third chapter. And I want you to follow along as I read. And listen very carefully, because God is now speaking to you and to me. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before." Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. 
that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall moreover command the priest who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusite. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourself twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the ark of the covenant before the people, and when those who carried the ark came into the Jordan... And the feet of the priests carrying the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest. The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethane. And those which were flowing down toward the sea of the Araba, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. If you look at that very first verse, what you do is you see how God staged the people of Israel to make the crossing of the Jordan. And it simply says that Joshua got up early in the morning and he led the nation down to the Jordan River. Joshua could muster an entire nation and be the spiritual leader that they would follow to the Jordan River after being out in the wilderness for 40 years, after watching all of the unfaithful mamas and daddies and aunts and uncles die a natural death. And now their descendants are going to follow Elijah and follow Joshua all the way to the river. You know... I've known some folks over the years who want to be leaders, who want to volunteer and say, you know, I'm ready for service. I'm ready for service in the church. I'd like to serve as an elder or a deacon. I'd like to be a pastor. It's one thing to want to do that. It's something else to be called by God to do that. Joshua had paid his dues, folks. Joshua had been one of the two spies, you remember, 
who came back and gave a minority report that was based on faith and said, God has given us the promised land, let's go take it, and the people didn't listen. And for the next 40 years, Caleb and Joshua lived with the people of Israel and suffered the same consequences as them and never gave up their faith. And when the time came for God to raise someone up to now enter the promised land, who does he turn to? He turns to those who've lived a life of faith. Those are the kind of spiritual leaders we need. Not just somebody who volunteers or says, I'd like to do that. But somebody that has walked with the Lord and trusted the Lord and is now being called out by the Lord to serve. When I say that, I'm obviously thinking about our upcoming election of elders and deacons, but I'm also thinking in a broader sense. We have ministers, we have spiritual leaders in churches that were not called by God. They call themselves. That never works. God needs to do the calling. It simply says in that first verse, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel, a whole nation of people, set out and came to the Jordan. And there they lodged before crossing over. You know what's significant about stopping at the Jordan? God said, I don't want you to just keep walking. I don't want you just to walk into this promised land. I want you to stop and take a look at the river you're about to cross. How many of you have seen the Jordan River? A mere little creek. Is that not right? And you say to yourself, well, you know, that's where John the Baptist was, and he baptized Jesus there, and no question about it. You know what happens at the end of the harvest season? The snows in Turkey melt on top of the mountains. They get down into the valleys and they fill the riverbeds. And by the time they come, that water comes out of the Sea of Galilee and runs the short Jordan River into the Dead Sea, it's been measured as much as 150 feet deep and over a mile wide. I want you to picture us walking up to the edge of the Jordan River and looking out and saying, wow, it's over a mile wide. And look how fast it's going by. And we're going to cross this. And God said, I want you to camp here and take a look at it. And I want you to think about it. If you look on down in the second through the sixth verses, you'll see that there's instructions that are given to the people of Israel. They stay there in that camp for three days. They weren't waiting on the water to go down. They weren't waiting to build up enough courage to try to do that. You know why they waited three days? For the same reason, lots of times when you and I face challenges, God says, I just want you to sit and look at the challenge for a while and realize how impossible it is for you to manage. He strips away from us so very often out of love all of the self-centered reliance that we have that says, I can do this. And instead, he says, I want you to look at it. So often when we have a loved one who is waiting for a report on their medical condition from a doctor, we have to wait. And you would think in this age that we could instantaneously get results. So often that's just not the case. 
And like the people of Israel, we have to encamp and wait on the Lord to let us know. And I believe what God is doing in that instance and all sorts of other instances, he's saying to us, I want you to be disarmed now. I want you to put yourself aside and realize you're not going to make this work. And I want you to turn to me and let me lead you. Do you need to hear that? I do. Take it home with you and apply it in your life. He also says, you're going to see the priests, the Levitical priests, and they're going to have the Ark of the Covenant. They're going to have this chest that holds the broken platelets that the Ten Commandments were written on and some other religious items that they have collected. And what the purpose of those things being in the ark was, was simply to say to a nation of people, don't forget God is right here. He's right here with you. So if you read through the passage, you'll see that they do not, does not say to us that the people of Israel are to break camp and follow the priest into the water. They're to follow the ark. So as we face challenges, as we deal with life, we don't follow our pastor. We don't follow our ruling elders. We seek advice from them and encouragement. We don't follow somebody else. We get our focus on the Lord and say, Lord, you help me through this. And with open arms, a loving God is waiting to help us to meet whatever challenge we have to meet. And then he says, and I want you to keep a distance. I don't want you to get so close up, and some of us do this, that we say, come on, Lord, bless what I'm about to do. Instead, he says very emphatically, what I want you to do is I want you to back away so you don't lose sight of where God is going. And I want you to follow him. So don't crowd him and don't get in front of him. And don't do it and call out and say, Lord, I know this was of you. Come on now, bless it. And very often he doesn't bless it. Why? He said, I want you to stand back and let me be your God. And I want you to be receptive to following me where I'm going and where I want you to go. And then he says, I want you to consecrate yourselves. I gave a lot of thought to the consecration. There are times that I try to do that. I hope there are times when you do. Saturday nights and Sunday mornings, I'm particularly keen on that because God allows me to stand up here, and this is his place, not mine. I'm a visitor up here. I'm invited to be here. So I try to get ready. I pray for you. I like my quiet time. If you've been around me much, you know I like people, and I like to be with people. There's some times I want to be alone, too. And as I get ready for Sunday, I want to be alone. And um, my family helps me do that. That's part of being consecrated. You know, if, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you haven't come to terms with his help with the fact that you need a Savior. Once you realize you need a Savior, that you're helpless on your own. 
then by God's grace, through the moving of his Holy Spirit in union with you, you call out and say, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I depend on you to take care of what I can't do, to save me, to take this unrighteous person and cover me with righteousness, that I might be in the presence of a righteous God for eternity. That's what Jesus is doing for us. So if you haven't had that experience and we start talking about consecrating yourselves, I don't think that's possible. The first step, foundational, is to come to know Jesus as your Savior. If you haven't accepted him as Lord and Savior, I encourage you to sit down with your Bible and one of the elders or myself will help you. And let's look at the fact that you and I are are sinners saved by grace and grace alone. Having accepted Christ, and if you haven't, say something to me today before you leave. Having accepted Christ, we still live in a fallen world and we're still fallen people. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to say, Lord, I'm not going to do that anymore and never do it again? That's not my experience. And if one of you has successfully done that, please don't tell me. It'll make me feel really bad about myself. When you consecrate yourself, what you do is with the reality that you're still a sinner, still living in a broken world, you get off with the Lord and you say, Father, help me. Help me to be the person you want me to be. And if there's something you need to take off and throw away, do that. One of the wonderful opportunities we have once a month is to share in the Lord's table. And that is a part of that. It's that repentant attitude that we have before we come to the table where we examine ourselves and say, Lord, I don't want to do that anymore. And he's standing ready to help us to overcome. So it's so very important. If you want to be in tune with God to consecrate yourself, and if you don't ever want to hear God speak, and if you ever don't don't want to see him active in your life, don't consecrate yourself. And you'll be so out of touch You'll never see it happen. Do you understand? So what Joshua is saying to the people of Israel is, God's going to do something in your life tomorrow, but you need to be ready or you're not going to see it. Or you'll see the physical part and miss the spiritual. And that's the same is true for us. If you look down in verses 7 through 13, there's some instructions that God gives to Joshua says a fascinating thing. He said, Joshua, I'm going to exalt you tomorrow. And I'm going to help the people understand that I put my hand on Moses and now I put my hand on you and you're my man. You're going to be the leader. Where do you get your significance? Get it by the job you have? You get it by the house you live in or the car you drive? You get it by the size of your savings and investments? All that can go away that quick. You do know that, don't you? It can just disappear no matter what you do. 
If that's where you're going to get your significance, it won't work. If you're trying to build yourself up in the eyes of other people and get your significance so they will exalt you, that is an endless process and you will never get there. Because whatever you do to impress somebody today, you got to do more tomorrow. Have you learned that? You can't exalt yourself. And if you're in the business of trying to feed that ego and exalt yourself, guess what? Not only can you not do that, other people know what you're doing. That's always terrible when other people can see what you can't see. You know where the exalting comes from? When God reaches out and says, Bob, I'm going to put my hand on you, brother. And through the power of my Holy Spirit, I'm going to use you. Ham, I'm going to put my hand on you. And I'm going to raise you up, not because you guys are something special or because I'm something special, but because we're broken enough and humble enough to be able to listen. And God will then take up the slack and use some of the most surprising people. And when he exalts them, other people realize that God has put his hand on us. Amen? Being humble before the Lord and not being all puffed up is so very important. It oftentimes dictates what kind of spiritual experience we have during this lifetime. Then he says, I want you to follow the priest. And he's asking a lot of those priests. He's saying, Joshua, I want you to tell the priest to walk out there in the raging water. And I want them to carry some weight on their shoulder. I want them to carry the Ark of the Covenant when they go. And I want them to be so worried about their footing so they don't drop the Ark that they're scared. I've often wondered if I would have helped tote the Ark of the Covenant. Do you know how awesome that river would have looked? It would have scared you to death. And he says, but what I want is I want my priest to go out and I want them to put their feet in that water first. And then I want the whole nation to rise up out of camp and I want the whole nation to go together and Joshua, I want you to lead them. And I want you to cross the Jordan River. No matter what you see, no matter what you think, I want you to go out and cross the river and just keep your eyes on me. Isn't that an awesome challenge? Well, when you get out of bed in the morning and you look at the stuff that's coming at you that day, some mornings you're going to feel just like that. You're going to see the Jordan River. But if you keep your focus on God, you're going to hear him say, get up and get dressed. I have a day for you to live. And no matter how threatening it looks, come walk with me, and I'll walk you through it. That's exciting news, folks. You can almost see him extend his hand and say, come, take my hand and walk with me. He also tells Joshua something else. He said, hey, Joshua, I'm going to tell you something that's really pretty critical. As you start to walk across the river, 12 miles upstream at a place called Adam, I'm going to stop the water. That's a pretty critical statement, isn't it? You know what else he's saying? 
but you all won't be able to see that when you start into the Jordan because it's 12 miles away. And I'm going to say, stop water. And it will stop because he's the God of all nature. I wish they'd make a movie out of that. That's almost as good as the Ten Commandments. So here is Joshua with a promise from God that his people are not going to drown in that river. The next morning, Joshua gets up. And he tells the people to follow the priest who are carrying the ark, which represents God. The priests get up. They take the ark and they walk into the water. And can't you feel the water trying to erode their stance and trying to pull them? You stood in the current and felt that. Well, imagine they're standing there and that water's just wanting to sweep them away and they're bracing, trying to stand in it. And they're about ankle deep. And here comes the nation of Israel ready to follow them who are carrying the ark. And Joshua's saying, enter the water. Let's get in the water. Let's go. Because he's a man of faith that God has raised up over 40 years, and he's not afraid now to take a stand for the Lord. You've got to walk it to get to the point you can have that kind of faith when the big challenge comes. They walk into the water. Guess what? Just luck. Just by chance, the water stops up there, 12 miles away. By the grace of God, he keeps his promise. And he dams the water up. The water runs off and they walk across, not the priest, but the nation of Israel walk across the Jordan River to the other side, to the promised land. And after they've gotten across, the priest exit the water. By faith. My faith might have gotten a little shaky. I might have wanted to walk with the people if I were one of the priests. The idea of standing there and after the nation goes by, waiting to hear the roar of the water again, might have gotten me, but it didn't get them. They were trusting in the presence of God. You know, this passage and the passages about Joshua are wonderful leadership passages about how to be a spiritual leader. And they give us encouragement and tell us how to live our life in a way that's a real blessing and where we can have peace. Be assured you're going to face more challenges. And if you think you've already had the worst that there is to offer, you may face a bigger challenge. But the one who is in us is greater than the one who's in this world. Keep your focus on him. Follow him. And you'll be okay. You will. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the example of Joshua. Thank you, dear God, for reassuring us again that you control all of nature and you control all of the events of this world in this lifetime. Help us, Lord, to find our assurance in you and to be at peace with that. 
for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.